Well, someone told me that today is Grace Sunday because everything is upside down and around and changed. In fact, it's changed for me too because this is a new deal for me today. And new for some of you, my name is Jim Boyd and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I do want to uh, welcome you all to our gymnasium, our youth room, whatever you would like to call it. But uh, we're experiencing exactly how this is going to operate. And thank you for all of you that are here and not in the balcony. That's standing room only up there, if you know. But uh, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to be here and uh, you put up with us and we will find all the bugs today and next Sunday we will try to correct any of them that uh, we can. And uh, today I'd like to speak on a very important topic. The topic is uh, whether you are seeking after happiness or you're seeking after contentment. I, uh, I know we're living in a world where there is a lot of explosive anger and as troubles and struggles that individuals are having. And so the question that I have asked today, and if you have your notes, you can look at them, contentment or happiness? In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. And, and the word gain there is the word for profit. It's great profit to have contentment. Now, I don't know if you can hear there's a little feedback. Is it feedback in with you or is it just for me? Hey, everyone's all right? That's one of those bugs, you know, that we, uh, we'll work out. But uh, there is a difference between contentment and happiness. When we think about uh, happiness, it is, it is something that is like a roller coaster ride. It's based upon external experiences. And so today I'm happy because my grand grandson uh, hit a home run, okay? Uh, tomorrow, he goes 0 for 4, and I'm not happy. And so happiness is something that fluctuates, and uh, contentment is something totally different. As uh, most of you know, uh, that my wife of 57 years, on March 26th of this year, went home to be with the Lord. And I will tell you, I'm not happy about it. It's difficult. It's painful. It's uh, a lonely time. In fact, this morning as I got up, I didn't know what to wear. You know, to what, it, what would be the right thing to look, look like. And so I had to put it all together myself. It's different. And I do not like it. I'm not happy, but I'm content. I'm content because I know where she is. And I know that this life is not all there is. 
I know there's an eternity ahead for those that love and know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And one day I will see her again. And I truly, truly believe that. And because it is something on the inside and not external, that is where I find contentment. I was looking up uh, the billboards for music, and I ran across these song titles because this is what the world is like. Don't worry, be happy. Now, don't sing it, but don't worry, be happy. My happiness. If you want to be happy, happy days. If it makes you happy, happy. I feel good. In fact, the Declaration of Independence says, have life, liberty, and what? Pursuit of happiness. You see, that's what we are living for so much in this world. We are pursuing happiness. And we can't find it because the moment we get it, we need some more. The moment we get it, we need some more. And it just goes on and on. We need contentment. So I'd like to talk to you about that today. Contentment. I'd like you to stand with me as I read from the passage that we're going to speak on today from Matthew chapter 6. We're going to stand because we honor God's Word, because that is the authority that uh, we believe we all live by and speaks to us and directs us. Matthew chapter 6, I'll just read a couple of verses and then we'll get down into a latter portion of the chapter. Matthew 6, verse 19. Before I read this, let me just say this is a little bit different than some of the scripture that we may read. This is the Sermon on the Mount. So what we're going to read is what Christ said. This is Christ speaking to us. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. But where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then going down, verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And some of you have the word mammon. And the word there for mammon or money is basically a simple word that simply says riches. It may be property. It may be the stock market. It may be something else. But it's just, it's just riches. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Anxious is translated in some Bibles as worry. For the Southerners, it says, don't fret. Yeah, that's okay. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not 
of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious or worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's the word of Jesus Christ, the Sermon on the Mount. Heavenly Father, we ask now that as we, as your humble servant, opens the truths of your word, we pray, Father, that it will be seen clearly for each and every one of us, that we will be challenged in our heart, that we will all leave this place better and ready to serve you. So God, we ask that you will give us the opening by the Spirit of God to speak to hearts and lives of those gathered here this day, and we will thank you for it. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. You may be seated. Someone has said that uh, life is like the dollar bill. It's good to spend, but you can only spend it once. And you can only spend it one of two ways. You can either waste it, or you can invest it. We read about that, lay not up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your heart, where your treasures are, there's where your heart will be. And I think it's important for us to recognize that uh, our life is short here on this earth. In fact, have you ever seen individuals that send you a text and they will say YOLO? Okay, there's a lot of different ones like that. YOLO, you only live once. Now, if they, if they mean by only living once, says this life and then it's all over, that's not true. Did you know that everyone sitting here is going to live forever? You're going to live forever. The question is, where are you going to live? You do not cease to live when we pass this life. The scripture says, for those that know Christ, absent from this body is present with God. And there is an eternity ahead for us to live in. And I think it's important for us to, to recognize that this life right now is given to us as a time of preparing for life eternal. The question is, are you prepared? Are you prepared? 
Some have said, well, we're going to YOLO, just live this life and it'll all be over. But I, I will tell you, as we speak to that particular, particular issue, I would leave as a, a human example. How many times have you moved in your life? I've had seven different houses I've lived in. Okay? But I didn't cease to live when I changed residence. I just changed residence. And my wife, Kathy, back in March 26th, she left the house that she lived in with me for 57 years. But she didn't cease to live. She's with the Lord. And one day, we'll be together again. And that is what gives me contentment, even though I'm not happy. Because I know that we're just going to change residence one day. We're going to lay this house, this body aside, and we're going to enter into eternity. So, what is the world searching for? I'm going to say there are three things that I'm going to mention about contentment today. Searching for contentment. And I've already said, contentment and happiness are not the same. So let's just discuss, if we're going to search for contentment, I ask you a couple of questions. What is the purpose for your life? Who are you living for? Or what are you living for? Those are a couple of key questions because how you answer that determines your focus. And your focus will determine the goals and objectives that you are searching for in this life. Most individuals in this life are searching for a lot of different things and primarily happiness. You say, well, I'm not sure what I'm searching for. Let me ask you this kind of a challenging question. When you wake up in the morning and get up, and you pick up the paper or you pick up the phone or you pick up something to look at, what is it you turn to first? Do you check the stock market? Do you check the, the uh, opportunities for new work? Do you check your retirement package? Do you recheck the political news? What do you search for first? A lot of that will speak to the focus of your life, and the focus of your life will determine whether or not you are seeking contentment in Christ. Your goals, property, retirement, bank account, or as it said there in verse 24, simply riches. Now Christ mentions the challenge for us when Jesus speaks here. He, he gives us a list of the challenges that we are all faced, that we have a tendency to go to. So I want you to notice that we've already read them, but you can open your Bibles there to Matthew 6. But you notice, first of all, there is uh, the economy, the wealth, the treasures, the riches, however you want to say it. That's one of the goals, that's one of the areas that people are searching. 
the work, retirement, riches. The others are essentials. What does it say there? For what is your life? Food? We all want food, and I've had plenty of it. And we, uh, we all need clothing. And I thought about that today when I was trying to figure out what to wear. We all search after those things. Our appearance, the dress, the style, and oh, that looks good, and that new hairdo or whatever it is, that, that really fits you. You know, we're all excited about these things. Your health. To get older, we begin to worry a little bit about that. A little pain here, a little pain there. Health. What did it say? You can worry about it if you want, but you're not going to add one day, one moment to the lifespan. I do believe God knows our life. So we're, we are seeking after something. And what we need to be seeking after is contentment. So how do we find true contentment? Hebrews chapter 13 Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Boy, that is powerful, isn't it, in the day in which we live right now? So many are living under fear. What man can do to me? All of us are seeking something. The key was found in verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God. What does it mean by seek? It means to focus, to run after. And this world is running after all types of things. They're seeking. That's the objective of our life. But what is the object that we are to seek? The object is the kingdom of God. His kingdom. And what is the priority and what we run or seek after? It says, seek ye what? First. It's number one. First things first. So we ask, if that's what we're going to seek, where is the kingdom of God? Can I say it simply? The kingdom of God is where he is king. Where he rules. And you know where that starts? It starts in your life. It starts in my life. It starts within me when I declare him to be king, the Lord of my life. It says in John 3 to Nicodemus, Jesus says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Making him king, making him Lord, making him our Savior, we call it being born again. Romans chapter 10, we, I grew up with a, what is called the Roman road, and some of you have heard that. There's a lot of different things out there. But Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, I'd like to just read it this way. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, 
You know what a Lord is? The master, the king. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That means he died. He's your savior and he rose again. He is your forgiver. You will, and it didn't say you might be. It says you will be saved. For with the heart, that is sincere commitment, when we say, I said to my wife, I love you with what? All my heart, commitment, sincere commitment. One believes and is justified, and with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. I ask you this. Jesus speaks, and we hear his word and his promise to us. Do you believe it? If I were to talk to you about anything in this life, and I would say, I give you my word. You know what that means to you? You can put it in the bank, so to speak. It means that you can trust. How much more when Jesus says something, he gives us his word. And we can believe it. We can trust it. We trust other people when they give us their word. How much more? We can trust God when he gives us his word. So the kingdom of God begins in our heart, in our life, when we make him the king, the Lord of our life. And you know what that does? It extends to the church. Why? Because the church is not a building. The church is not an organization. The church is a spiritually speaking and biblically speaking, is an, organiz- is an organism that is growing and developing. It is important for us that not only the kingdom of God is found in our life, but it's found, therefore, because it's in our life, it's in our church, Sun River Church. And one day... One day the kingdom of God will be for all eternity in heaven. Life forever with our King of kings and Lord of lords and with fellow believers together in heaven. So what happens in this kingdom? What happens to us as believers? We become children. We become born again. I use that expression. You know what happens when a child is born? We anticipate there's going to be growth. And that should happen in our lives. There's going to be growing. It's sad when a baby does not grow as it should. And I simply say this. As Christians, some of you have been in Bible studies all your life, so to speak. You go to classes, you read, you do all of these kind of things. But may I just say one thing? To know is not always to grow. See, to grow means we have application of what we have learned. Without application, there is no growing, there is no exercising, there is no fulfilling of what we say we know. So we need to grow the application, obedience to what we know. And so the last thing that I'd like to talk about on this contentment is growing in contentment as believers. What is spiritual growth? Spiritual growth begins 
with a commitment to Jesus Christ as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, my Savior, my Lord. I always talked about that. And that is a commitment that hopefully all of you have made sometime in your life. If not, I'll tell you, I'll be right here after the service, and I'd be happy to share with you how that today, before you walk out those doors, on whichever side, you can know Jesus Christ, and you can have him as the King of kings and Lord of lords in your life. But I share that with you. There's first area is conversion. That's the first area. That's where you start as a baby. You are converted. You, you're born again, if you accept understand what I mean by that. And uh, sometimes that's where people stop. They don't go beyond that. I'm a believer. That's it. You know, the fire escape from hell. That's me. I've, put my, I've trusted Jesus, and that's all I need. You know, I gave my life to Christ, and I committed my life to Christ at the age of nine. And I committed my life to Christ in a Buddhist temple. Are you in shock? Let me show you the picture. This is picture number one. Buddhist temple, there it is. That's where I gave my life to Christ. Not that building, that building, but not, not in that shape. Because what had happened in World War II, I was born and raised in a town called, in Southern California called Brawley. And we had a group of believers that were meeting at home. And after World War II, there were a lot of uh, properties that uh, the government had inherited. And one of them was this Buddhist temple. And so we bid for it, and we got the bid. And so as we went in with the broken windows, the dust on the floor, there was the, the cage where Buddha sat, there was uh, all types of relics around. and We had to change some of that, and so we changed it to this second area. And uh, we called it the Baptist Missionary Tabernacle. Now, that's, that's a strange word, right? But that's the building that was a Buddhist temple, that was where I gave my life to Jesus Christ at the age of nine. And as we grew as a congregation, as we made commitment to one another, as we came together as a body, we began to grow. And today, number three, that's the church. We moved across town, and the growth has developed. People came to know Christ. And now we have this building in this community. We made covenant together, and that brings me to the second point in growth. Once you are converted, you need to become part of the community. You need to make a commitment to one another to grow and to develop and to reach out and to fellowship and encourage one another. And we began generally with baptism. person is baptized. A lot of times we think of baptism. Is, that my, is this my mic that's cracking up? Or Okay. That's one of those things we'll take care of this week. Uh, as we go through baptism, 
you will find that there's some individuals that say, that's how I get become a, a, a believer. That's, I get baptized and that makes me a believer. Water does not save anyone. The blood of Jesus Christ is what saved you. And baptism is a picture of what Christ did for you. And a picture is not the real thing. It's an image of what you did when you gave your life to Christ. Now, some of you will understand that it's a testimony to the world out there that you have committed your life to Christ. And we illustrate that through baptism. We picture that in baptism. Some of you have been raised and, and you were baptized as babies, right? And in that baptism, I, wanna, I just want to make a statement here. That baptism is something that was a commitment of your parents for you, but not a commitment of you. You probably, very most of you probably never knew it even happened. But now, later on, if you have made your personal commitment to Jesus Christ, now the time has come for you to not only trust him as the Lord and Savior of your life, but also to declare that publicly with baptism and then make that commitment, that covenant relationship with the church. In this case, it'd be Sun River Church. That's what they did in Acts. They all came together. And Hebrews 10 says we come together to encourage one another and build one another up. So if there are those that are listening and viewing this, I just want you to know that we would love to have you come and make a commitment and join with us at Sun River Church. I believe it would be helpful for you and I know it would be helpful for us as we become a body together to build for the glory of Jesus Christ. So if you're able, we invite you to come from behind that television and into corporate worship with us. There's another one that's more difficult even yet, and that's the word concern. As you begin to grow, you are converted, and then you join community, and then there becomes a concern. What do I mean by that? I mean that there are individuals that you know in your life that are not believers. And all of a sudden you recognize that something needs to be done or your friends, or they should be your friends, are not going to join you in heaven. So we are concerned about that. And that relationship needs to build as you grow and as you share what Christ has done for you. I was listening briefly for the, uh, at the uh, message in the encouragers class this morning. And I, I told Lauren, I said, you could bring the message because here's the point that he was making and I will make. God has called each and every one of us to be his witness. So using the great commandment of love for God and love for others, we become commission workers. We are witnesses for Jesus Christ. Now, what is a witness? A witness, let's just think of it in a courtroom. 
A witness is not the judge. And a witness is not the attorney that does the convincing. The witness only shares their life of what God has done for them or whatever the situation is. You know who, you know who the attorney is that does the convincing? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that convinces and convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And you know who the judge is? The judge is Jesus Christ. And one day we will stand before him, each and every one of you. And today I ask you, this is probably the weakest link in the growth of the believer. And that is to join in to sharing your faith because of your concern for those who know not Christ. You say, I don't have a lot of non-believers. Sorry. If you're going to be a follower of Christ and be like Christ, what was he known for? He was known as a friend of what? Sinners. Friend of sinners. We need non-believing friends. And through that, we become ambassadors for Christ and witnesses for him. I was reading a book, and there's a lot of little acrostics that you could use But there's one that I'd like to share with you, and it's there in your notes. How to share your faith. Bless. Begin with prayer. B, begin with prayer. It all starts there. God, give me an opening and help me to be willing to step through that opening. Help me to see the opportunities, etc., etc. Begin with prayer. L, listen to them. Sometimes we, we are the kind that want to grab somebody with a shirt collar and slam them up against a wall. Listen to them. Listen. Hear where they're coming from. Understand who they are. Become their friend. Listen to them. And then what happened? Eat with them eat. There's nothing like sitting around the table and eating together. In fact, isn't that what Christ did many, many times? He ate. He ate. And then what else do we have? We have not only eating, but we have serving them. That's the S. Show your love, the love of Christ to them in serving them and caring for them and helping them, serving. And then last storytelling. Tell your story. You've already built a relationship. Once you've got that far, you're willing to share your story of what Christ has done for you. Bless. Bless. It's a method of sharing Christ with a friend. The work of the Holy Spirit is the one that sets the table for us that we may step in and share our story. The last in the growth that comes in our life is consistency. It indicates maturity. It's the final word, the growth of the believer. Consistent prayer. Consistent study. Consistent sharing of your faith and living and learning to be more like Christ.
With the passing of my wife, some of you know that one of the things that I've done in my life as a minister, even after retirement, was I conducted funerals. I've had many, many funerals in my life. And the problem comes is when you lose your spouse, is can I now practice what I preached? Can I practice what I've told others? With God's help, with God's help, that is my desire. I leave with you this passage of Scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27. But I discipline my body, and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Or what's the word that we use nowadays you hear all the time? A hypocrite. A hypocrite. There is one other phrase that we tend to leave out. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. What's the next statement? And his righteousness. And his righteousness. That speaks of purity. That speaks of a Christ-likeness. It's not our self-righteousness. And it's not man's righteousness because I grew up in a church with do's and don'ts. Have you ever had those? You know, it's a checklist. The only problem with a checklist of do's and don'ts is your checklist is different than mine. So where do we find the answer? The answer is found in God's Word. And that's where we find the answer to what a righteous life is all about. In uh, Matthew chapter 11, you know this verse. I'm reading from the Amplified. It says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, or burdened. And I just say, by religious rituals and provide no peace. And I will give you rest, refreshing your souls with salvation. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Follow me as my disciple, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest or renewal or blessed quiet for your souls. For my yoke is easy, easy to bear, and my burden is light. Now, you know what a yoke is? In the early days, it's you yoke two oxen together to plow the field. And we as believers are yoked together with Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? It means if you want to enjoy and be content in your life, you need to walk in step with him. Because if I try to run ahead, I'm under stress. And the yoke starts to bind. If I lag behind, I'm also under stress and in pain. But if I walk with him, and in this particular case, he's the one 
that does it all. And I just walk alongside. Follow. Yoked with Christ. How do you become yoked with Christ? I've talked about it the whole message, right? It's that time that you come and you commit your life to Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords for you as your Savior, the payment for your sin. So, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what's it say? And then all these things, those things that you know you need and he knows you need, will take care of itself. I think of a person like Solomon. What did Solomon pray for? He didn't pray for riches. He didn't pray for a long life. He prayed for wisdom. But God gave him all those other things when he put him first, when he put God first. And I say the same to you. You seek the happiness, you seek these things. They're secondary, but they will be there if you put Christ first. Now, sometimes he doesn't give us what we want. And we struggle because as we walk along, we want to go one way and he's taking us another and we, we struggle with that walk. But he also provides for us, even in times of stress. First things first. See, it's not about me. It's not about we. It's about he. And that is true for this church, and it begins when it's true in your life. And that's where contentment comes. And that's where we find it, in Christ. Focus your life here, on Him. And find contentment of knowing that He rules, He is sovereign. And His ways are right and good. Because I believe in Him. And He has given me His word. And I can trust Him. Even though some of the things that come my way do not make me happy but I'm content in Christ. We're going to remember this person, Jesus Christ, with communion. It represents what Christ did for us on the cross. And it says we partake, he gave us instructions that we partake together until he comes. Didn't say how often, but today, since there's a lot of other things going on, we're going to do it too, today. I would suggest that we're going to have some elders come and stand behind the tables here, and we're going to invite you, when you are ready, to come and pick up the element. There is both, both elements here for you. And then I'd, I would just suggest that since we've been talking about togetherness and community, I suggest that when you take these elements, you go back and you talk to God privately in your seat and let us take them together. Okay? So just take them back and hold them and we will all take together as a body in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. But in the meantime, in the meantime, 
you remember what Christ did for you and you have that communication with him. And if you do not know Christ as your Savior, then you do not even truly understand what all this is about. His shed blood. His life that was given for us. But if you know him, then we invite you to partake. And those that may not know him today, we invite you to come and see me or one of the others after service. Because that's more important than anything else going on here. Because that is planning for life hereafter. For all eternity. Heavenly Father, as we pause now to to remember you, and then as we take these elements and return to our seats and then pause, and together as a body, we remember you together as my King, my Lord, my Savior, my Forgiver. And let us remember our commitment to, to you. It may have been on the street. It may be in a Sunday school class. It may have been in our home. Or even as myself, it may have been in a Buddhist temple. Lord, we know that to know you is to have life not only now, but for all eternity. And we will thank you as we partake and as we remember you. This is a celebration not a sad memorial time. It's a celebration and a thank you for all you have done for us.